Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast where we are reading celebrity memoirs that no one else has to. We read them, we give our little interpretation, our analysis, our little tips and takes. And if you don't want those things, you just say, why can't I just read the book? Oh, baby, you can. And today we are coming from a brand new studio, Dude I Don't Know in Denver. Dude, I don't know. I don't know. I I wonder how this episode will be with us Lucy Goose from the altitude. I know. Also, we're not wearing headphones because they're like above that at this studio. And so I can't even hear myself. I don't even know what I'm sounding like right now. I don't even know what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm really excited to be here because this couch is beautiful. I have to say, though, I feel a little bit like when you're trying to sleep in somebody else's house and you're just like, this isn't my bed. These aren't my sheets. I feel untethered. I feel like an imposter. What if like sitting in not our chairs, we have a whole new personalities and you guys like it better? I can't even think about that. Anyway, happy Thanksgiving, one and all. We are coming to you, you know, a couple days before you'll be seated around the table with your family. I assume that instead of saying grace before dinner, you will be putting on a little CNBC for background noise. Pitch it to friends and family. If you're worried about having fights with your parents at home this holiday season, why don't you suggest instead of conversation, we all listen to a podcast. And if you say, oh my God, okay, sitting around the table with my family is nice, but I want something magical. Why don't you sit around the bell house with a bunch of other wormies and come to our Christmas spectacular December 7th and 8th if you live in New York City. Also, if you live in Phoenix, we will be there on January 18th. And Los Angeles, we will be in town on January 19th. And let me tell you what, that's where your family is. (laughs) Okay, Ashley, if you were a celebrity and you were going to write a memoir about your life, what would last week's chapter be called? It would be called Clashly to the Moon. Why? That's me too. That's what we call ourselves. We're Clashly. Yeah. Well, okay. So you guys know that Claire and I have had adventures and misadventures in building a life together. Celebrity Memoir Book Club is our 3.5th podcast. We've had a couple ventures beforehand. And we've had a web series that really almost ripped us to shreds, like not just tore our friendship apart, but like left us as withering versions of our being. Financially, major hits. And emotionally, I would say that's the worst part. It just hurt us as a duo. It hurt us individually as well. Like I left saying I'm less of a person than I was going in. And last week, we decided to film another venture, a little project that we hope to debut in the late winter. And I feel like over the moon about it. I really feel so excited. I think that we've come a long way as dumb idiots. And maybe our dumb idiot C is like really going places. Claire, if you were to write a memoir, what would you title last week's chapter? Mine goes blank. (laughs) Because actually, you guys don't know this because of editing magic. Shout out to our editor, Emily. But Ashley actually asked me first. And I literally sat here and said, I know I was busy. I could not for the life of me recall what we did last weekend. And I'm like, I know I wasn't able to see Mac till Sunday. And then we left immediately Monday. But I was like, but where were we? I was like, I don't think we were in D.C. or Philadelphia. I don't think we were in Nashville. But I was like, what was I so busy doing? And it's today, Tuesday. And I plum forgot what we did for 15 straight hours on Saturday and for 12 straight hours of prep on Friday. But now that you remember, do you feel good about it? Yeah, but I also feel like maybe I need, I, I, it couldn't be more sleep and it couldn't be less coffee. I'm getting a lot of sleep and I only drink a healthy dose of coffee a day. I need a brain tweak up. I might get on Adderall again. You guys might see a new version of Claire Parker out there and she might be completing tasks. I love that. I'm so excited. 2024, the year of the Adderall comeback. I gave myself a good long time to see, could I break this thing on my own? Nope. I have something wrong in my brain and I am going to fix it with medicine. Well, I hope the government doesn't run out of that medicine. I know. If you're an undercover dealer, let me know. JK. Totally kidding. 
cops, if you're listening, you're actually not invited to listen. <laughs> Can I say something about cops? Is a doctor would give it to me if it was readily available. It's not even the problem with the prescription, it's the problem with the pharmacies. And so maybe if your little capitalist hellscape got it together and could produce drugs as quickly as we could consume them, then maybe I wouldn't have to resort to illegal sources. Totes. Speaking of drugs from legal and illegal sources, are you ready to get into this week's memoir? It's an odd one. You know how sometimes we look at people's lives and we're like, oh, the entirety of your life was just your relationship with your mom or the entirety of your life was your relationship with your body. This is a woman who for the first time straight up is like, my life amounts to one thing and one thing only. And that was this guy I was married to briefly. We are reading Elvis and Me by Priscilla Bolio Presley. Is that how you say that? Bolio. Okay, I do want to actually trigger warn this episode. I really was uncomfortable with it. And I think that if you are easily triggered by like grooming and statutory rape, don't listen further. This book is like truly upsetting. It's also been made into a major motion picture by Sofia Coppola. And we're going to watch it for the Patreon. I think I'm also going to watch the other Elvis Me too, thing. the one where that guy like lost himself to the life of Elvis. Yeah, and then I might even read all of the interviews comparing them because that one guy's like, I still can't talk normal. Okay, so this book opens up with the death of Elvis Presley. If you didn't know already, I'm so sorry to tell Spoiler you. Spoiler alert, Elvis has died. Elvis Presley was born January 8th, 1935. And the subject of our book, The Me of Elvis and Me, Priscilla Presley was born May 24th, 1945. So they had 10 years apart and she is currently 78 and he died in his 40s, I believe. At 42. The same age his mother was, I think, when she yeah. died. And this book came out in 1985. It was August 16th, 1977, overcast and dreary, not a typical Southern California day. She gets a call. Scylla, I've just got a call from your dad. She said as I pulled up, Joe's been trying to reach you. It's something about Elvis in the hospital. So this is Joe Esposito, Elvis's longtime manager. Oh my God, don't tell me. Scylla, he's dead. Joe, don't tell me that, please. We've lost him. For a moment, I hoped for a miracle that they were calling me back to tell me that Elvis was still alive, that it was all right, that it had been a bad dream. But there were no miracles. The news hit the media instantly. My phones did not stop ringing with friends trying to cope with the shock, members of the family grasping for explanations, and the press demanding statements. I locked myself in the bedroom and left instructions that I would not speak to anyone. In fact, I wanted to die. Love is very deceiving. Though we were divorced, Elvis was still an essential part of my life. Over the last years, we've become good friends, admitting the mistakes we've made in the past and just beginning to laugh at our shortcomings. I could not face the reality that I would never see him alive again. He had been a part of my life for 18 years. When we met, I had just turned 14. We had a bond. We'd become closer and more understanding and patient for each other than in our married life. We had even talked of one day, dot, 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 and now he was gone. He taught me everything, how to dress, how to walk, how to apply makeup and wear my hair, how to behave, how to return love his way. Over the years, he became my father, husband, and very nearly God. Now he was gone and I felt more alone and afraid than ever in my life. Oof. I felt like shivers down my spine every time she would be like, he was like a father figure lover to me. The way that she's like, he taught me everything, who I should be, how to be, the way not to bother him, everything. He invented her. I feel like so sad for her throughout this book. It's truly like a look into why grooming is bad. Yeah, because she does not write this as like a here's what's wrong, like feel sorry for me way. Like she writes this empowered. She writes this like this is just a bad relationship and this is what it was like on the inside of a bad relationship. She doesn't even call it a bad relationship. Yeah. I mean, obviously she knew it was bad. She leaves him. Yeah. 
She thinks she's showing another side to him, the good side. I think that it's less a bad relationship and more here's why it couldn't work between Elvis and me at that time. She says several times that like she thought maybe someday they would work it out. This book starts not with her being born, not with anything, not with her parents, but kind of how and why she met Elvis. 1956, her dad came home and said, I don't know what this Elvis guy is all about, but he must be something special. I stood in line with half the Air Force at the PX to get this for you. Everybody wants it. And he hands her the record of blue suede shoes. So she actually says she was less obsessed with Elvis than the other girls at her school. She was in middle school. And then her dad in the Air Force gets transferred to Germany. What's important to know about Priscilla back in the day, Bolio, Bolio, was that people always said I was the prettiest girl in school, but I never felt that way. She also came from a strict background where her dad, you know, was in the military. He ran a tight ship. He was a firm believer in discipline and responsibility. And he and I frequently knocked heads. My strong, handsome father was the center of the world. He was a hard worker who had earned his degree in the business administration at University of Texas. She says her family did struggle financially, but she says that as kids, they never really felt it. And then we just kind of skate over the fact that when she was young, she was rummaging through a box of family keepsakes and she found a folded up flag, the kind of flag that you would give to the widow after their husband dies at war. And there's like a photo of her mom, her as a baby, and another guy. And she's like, Mom, what is this? Her dad died at war, and the man she was being raised by is not her biological father. Mother suggested I keep the discovery from the other children. She felt it would endanger our family closeness. And that is all we hear about it again. It's never brought up what it was like that she had been lied to about her biological father or this feeling of longing. It's just not brought up again. She says it didn't endanger the closeness and that they were a very tight-knit family. And again, as Asha said, even though they didn't have a lot financially, she felt constantly very grateful for how close of a family they were. She's voted queen of the Dell Valley Junior High. Well, she just meant she was the prettiest girl in school. I think all that matters to know about her up until she's 12 is that she's very pretty. And then her dad gets transferred to Weisbaden. That's probably not how you say it. West Germany. My friend Angela jokingly told me that Elvis Presley was stationed in Bad Nauheim. West Germany. Probably not how you say it. Do you believe it? You're going to be the same country as Elvis Presley, she said. I'm going to go over there and meet Elvis. We both laughed, hugging each other and saying goodbye. They moved to Germany and they're living in this building with no other American families. So she becomes very lonely right away. I was accustomed to changing schools frequently, but a foreign country posed altogether new problems, principally that I couldn't share my thoughts. I began to feel that my life had stopped dead in its tracks. So she starts hanging out at like a cantina of some sort. She has some other word for it. A place called the Eagles Club where American service families went for dinner and entertainment. It was within walking distance of where they lived. And so she would just go there every day after school and like listen to the jukebox and eat snacks. And one day an adult man comes up to her and goes, what's your name? How old are you? Do you like Elvis Presley? And he goes, I'm a good friend of his. My wife and I go to his house quite often. Would you like to join us one evening? Unprepared for such an extraordinary invitation, I grew even more skeptical and guarded. I told him I'd had to ask my parents. So she asks her parents, and she's like, I'm 14. I didn't know, like, what would happen. And they say, yes, she gets dressed, and she goes to meet Elvis, and, like, she spends the night. I mean, it becomes a theme throughout this book. He loves to be surrounded by people, so he essentially has gatherings at his house every single day, no matter where he lives. And he gets there, and he plays the piano. I glanced up and saw Elvis trying to get my attention. I noticed that the less response I showed, the more he began singing just for me. I couldn't believe it. The Elvis Presley was trying to impress me. So, Elvis said, do you go to school? What are you, about a junior or a senior in high school? I blushed and said nothing, not willing to reveal that I was only in ninth grade. Well, he persisted, ninth. Elvis looked confused. Ninth what? Grade, I whispered. 
Ninth grade, he said and started laughing. Why, you're just a baby. The next day in school, I couldn't concentrate. My thoughts were entirely on Elvis. I told no one who would ever believe that just the night before I'd been with Elvis Presley. She's I, I never expected to hear from him again. But then the very next night, the phone rings. It's Curry, the guy who initially introduced the two of them. He's like, hey, I just heard from Elvis that he wants to see you again. Can I come get you? So she starts getting like chartered from her parents' house to Elvis's house and then back at like 1 a.m. Every night. And finally, after a couple of weeks, her parents are like, no, if Elvis wants to see you, he has to come get you himself. Early in her visits, he's like, I want to be alone with you. And she's like, we are alone. They were in the kitchen or something. And he's like, no, alone, alone. So you go upstairs and wait for me. And then I'll follow you upstairs so that no one is suspicious. And she's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And she's nervous. She goes up and sits in his room. And they, like, lay next to each other in bed. Until that moment, it hadn't crossed my mind that Elvis Presley might be interested in me sexually. He could have any girl in the world. Why would he want me? There's nothing to be frightened of, honey. As he spoke, he was smoothing my hair. I swear I'll never do anything to harm you. He sounded absolutely sincere. I'll treat you like a sister. Flustered and confused, I looked away. So he starts really confiding in her, saying, I really like you. You're refreshing. It's nice to talk to someone from back home. I sat next to him saying nothing, but I was touched by his vulnerable boyish quality. He went on to say that our relationship was going to be important to him, that he needed me. I was to learn that Elvis's mother was the love of his life. She had died August 14th, 1958 at age 42. God, I mean, there's so many creepy, like, words about family dynamics. Yeah. Like, the way that they use father and love. The words that are used interchangeably throughout this book make me so uncomfortable. Elvis's dad, Vernon, is dating a new woman named Dee. Elvis's unrelieved depression over Gladys's death was intensified by the conflict in Elvis's mind over Dee Stanley, who Vernon had met in Germany. Another visit ended too soon. He kissed me goodbye. My first real kiss. Just to remind you guys, at this point, I actually don't even know if we said their ages. She is 14 years old and he is 24 years old. He broke away saying, we have plenty of time, little one. He kissed my forehead and sent me home. So her parents finally are like, if he really wants to have you come visit him all the time, then he needs to come get you himself. Enough with like you being shuttled to and from. First of all, I disagree that she should be hanging out with an international pop star when she is a minor and he is an adult. But yeah, there is something extra disgusting and grotesque about it, about having these other adult men come and pick her up and drop her off. And because Elvis is stationed in Germany with the army, he's like, well, I can't get away very quickly. What if my dad comes and picks her up and then I'll always drive her home? And then first it's like dad comes and gets her. And then, of course, it gets outsourced to friends, randos. I also want to read this conversation that Elvis has with Priscilla's father when he comes over to like meet the family and say, I'll take good care of her. I mean, the dad rightfully asks, you're Elvis fucking Presley. Why my daughter? And he says, well, sir, I happen to be very fond of her. She's a lot more mature than her age and I enjoy her company. It hasn't been easy for me being away from home and it all gets kind of lonely. I guess you might say I need someone to talk to. You don't have to worry about her. I'll take good care of her. Elvis's honesty disarmed dad just as it did my mother. I mean, what? That is a horrible answer. I mean, I guess there isn't a good answer. There isn't a good answer, but to be like, oh my God, now they could feel comfortable. Why his daughter? Because I was a person and he needed a person. Yeah. <laughs> she becomes obsessed. He only had a few more months where he was in Germany and she was like, time was the enemy. Every minute I wasn't with him, I thought of him. My life was now dominated by him. And yet there was times when I would be disappointed by him. One evening he told me he would call and didn't. When I finally heard from him the next day, he'd say, hi, babe, don't you think you'd come over tonight? You go, oh, shit, I forgot. As we talked about, this book is about the dangers of grooming. She becomes obsessed with him in the way that a 14-year-old becomes obsessed and infatuated with approval and being liked. 
and boys. Like, there's so many things coming together all at once that, like, an adult is supposed to be, like, calm down and go to school. Something that very quickly happens is some man named Kurt, whose name she changed. And I'm kind of like, well, why did you change his name? What do you have like, to protect who cares? Him? But he's one of Elvis's friends. He comes and picks her up, and then he drives off the road, and he tries to assault her. And she fights back, like, tooth and nail and starts scratching at him to the point where he gives up and just drives her. But she's too scared to tell anybody because she's like, if my parents find out what happened, they won't let me visit Elvis anymore. I'm scared to tell Elvis because what if he thinks it's something I did on purpose? So she is now 14 years old, trapped with not being able to tell on this man who's still in her life, who tried to attack her. And that's the danger of it all. Is somebody needs to protect her from Elvis in the first place because people at 14 years old cannot make the decisions to keep themselves safe. Yeah, that's why someone else is supposed to help you stay safe. Someone else is supposed to like help you structure the rights and wrongs and red flags so that later in your life when you're an adult, you can say, oh, that behavior is a red flag. My biggest problem in those days was that Elvis and I never seemed to have enough time alone. People were always dropping by, standing around, talking and laughing until Elvis came down from his room. As soon as he appeared, the room would become silent until he revealed his mood. I mean, just from the first day, it's so known that he has this horrific temper. And everybody in his circle is on his payroll to keep him happy. All of his friends are paid friends. All of his family works for him. He lives in Graceland with his grandmother, his father, and then family always comes by. It also comes out like that the whole family is still reeling from the death of his mother, and he was very close with her. And we learn more and more about how close they were. She protected him from all criticisms. She never let him play sports because he wasn't allowed to get hurt. He would often be bullied by his other family members about being such a mama's boy. Gladys's constant effort to protect Elvis, I learned, was the result of her anguish over the death of Elvis's twin brother, Jesse Guerin. Do you guys remember where else that's come up? John Stamos's character had some other name like Nathan or something, and he changed it to Jesse based on Elvis's twin brother because he thought of himself as a real Elvis type. I've grown to love you, Scylla. Daddy keeps reminding me of your age and that it can't be possible when I go home. Only time will tell. Nights when his mood was calm and peaceful, he would describe his ideal woman and tell me how perfectly I fit this image. He liked soft-spoken brunettes with blue eyes. He wanted to mold me to his opinions and preferences. Despite his reputation for being a rebel, he held the traditional view of relationships. A woman had her place, and it was the man who took initiative. So what does she think a rebel is? This is such a funny phrase to me. The problem is that when you, like, mold your perspective on the world around one person, you, like, don't understand what is good and what is bad. It is actually really bad to be like, this is my ideal woman, and I want to build you from adolescence so that you become her. Like, that's horrifying i'm just so interested in the idea of him being a rebel but how then crazy it is that he's still so obsessed with the patriarchy yeah fidelity was important to him especially on the woman's part he constantly reminded me that his girl had to be completely constant despite his moralizing i feared elvis wasn't always faithful to me oh your fears are valid and it starts from the beginning they're in germany still and she's telling the story about how he would always have people over, including girls that were brought there, like her, I imagine, for his choosing. I imagine part of the job of the entourage was to constantly be bringing him women. And I bet she doesn't even realize that later in his career this was still true. Yeah. So even though she's there, there's all these other girls there, and she's kind of number one. She's the girl to beat, really. And other girls will be like, oh, I know where your pick is. It's upstairs by your bed. And she'll be like, how come they know that? And he's like, ah, oh, she cleaned the house. She just offered. And Priscilla's always like, I don't know. He had an answer for everything. Despite his declaration of innocence, I was not reassured. He was the sexual idol of millions and could choose whomever he wanted whenever he wanted. I quickly learned from my own survival not to ask too many questions. She knows from the beginning. He has a horrible temper and he has problems staying faithful. 
And the thing is, I do think these things only fueled her like fire because as like a young person who is still being molded. You're naturally insecure. She doesn't have a safety net of friendship. She's in a new city where she doesn't know anybody else. She has nothing to do but become obsessed with this man who people who've never even met him are deadly obsessed with him. I mean, it was like a tornado. It's power dynamics. Like, of course, older men have power over younger women in this way. But to be one of the most famous men in the world over like a random girl who's like in a country where like no one else speaks the same language as her. It's just like a recipe for fucking disaster. And the way that her parents are just like, we're protective. We ask questions before we send our daughter to the man's house. They really did need to like lock her up <laughs> physically. It goes back to like then the power dynamics of celebrity where it's like I get when like one of the most famous people in the world is like, I would like your daughter to come to my house. I mean, that's what exactly what R. Kelly did to get girls to become trapped in his house if an adult man says i want your daughter you have to say no i hear why people fall prey to it and the point is who cares about celebrities we really have to stop giving them this kind of power she is now obviously failing school because she's going to elvis's house every day and getting back at one two in the morning having to wake up a few hours later and go to school she's not doing well in her classes she's fudging her report cards so he gives her like uppers so that she can stay awake at school he says you only use them when you need them and then to help you fall asleep, take these sleeping pills. And she goes, I don't know that I need these, but he insists I wouldn't give them to you if they weren't good for you. So he's getting ready to go back to America, and she's freaking out. She's worried that he'll forget about her the moment that he lands. He smiled and kissed me gently. I'm not going to forget you, Scylla. I've never felt this way about another girl. I love you. Also, she begged him to have sex. And he said, not yet. It has to be special. Like, not right now. And this is a persisting situation where he is, like, obsessed with her staying a virgin for him. Like, saving herself for him. He's, like, obsessed with her being a virgin. Stay the way you are, untouched as I left you. I will, I promised. So, of course, she's absolutely heartbroken. And interestingly enough, people find out her identity. She's photographed with him as he's saying goodbye, and he's photographed kissing her. And people are asking her to do interviews. People are showing up at her house. People are sending her letters, both threatening and in awe, because she's known as the new girl with Elvis Presley. They're asking her, what do you think about all of the affairs he's having with Nancy Sinatra back in the U.S.? And she does not say a word because she doesn't ever want to do something that would betray him. And she calls him. She says, oh, Elvis, is it true you're seeing Nancy? Hold it, hold it, slow down. No, it's not true. Don't believe everything you hear, little girl. You'll find people trying to stir up trouble just to make you upset. She's a friend, baby, just a friend. I'm appearing on her father's show, and it was all set up for her to be here at my press conference when I returned to the States. I miss you, and I think about you all the time. After the first phone call, I spent all my time writing and rewriting letters to him, but he never wrote back. Then one day he called, sounding very excited. I'm leaving for California in two days. I'm starting my first movie since leaving the Army. I was living in a state of suspended animation, waiting for Elvis's infrequent calls. There was never a pattern to them. He would phone me out of the blue after three weeks or three months. He always did most of the talking, chatting about his current film or co-star. Occasionally he'd talk about Anita, his girlfriend, saying that their relationship wasn't what he had expected when he returned from Army. I wanted to ask him, where do I fit into your life, or do I? And then she's, like, reading articles about him in the newspaper. Every story upsets her. All she does is just write him love letters about how devoted and in love she is. The holiday season is officially here, but before you whip yourself into an absolute frenzy, Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable, unique, gorgeous gifts for every single person on your list. Uncommon Goods knows exactly what everybody on your list wants. I found the most incredible items, gifts big and small. I am an absolute candle girl. And one thing I love about Uncommon Goods is that you are supporting artists and small independent businesses. 
These products are often made in small batches, so you have to shop now before they sell out for the season. They have a lot of really incredible personal gifts so that your gifts feel carefully picked out because it is the thought that counts. I love small touches like someone's birth flower, making sure you've covered someone's favorite scent, little details that make all the difference from art and jewelry to kitchen, home and bar. Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Uncommon experiences are more than just virtual classes. They're unexpected opportunities to have fun and connect in new ways. From tarot card reading, romantic map making, cooking, and mixology classes for people who are looking for more of an experience than a physical gift. With every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice, and they've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash worm. That's uncommongoods.com slash worm for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Then one day he calls and says, I'd like to make arrangements for you to visit me in Los Angeles. And she's over the moon. Her dad is like, what the fuck? No. Her parents are so fucking stupid because they keep on being like, what's up with you guys? Like, what's going on? Why is Elvis your best friend? I think they're also like, what's his intentions for you? I think they know it's romantic. Yeah. But they're like, if he's not going to marry you, he needs to buzz off. Yeah. Ew. Unless we can make you a child bride. You actually can't be fooling around like this. They agree to it, though. She gets to go visit him for two weeks in L.A., and they get him on the phone, and Elvis makes all these promises, gives them a full itinerary, says she'll check in every day, write constantly. She lands in L.A., and of course, who picks her up? But Joe Esposito, not Elvis. And she's worried that the last time Elvis saw me, I had been 14 years old and five pounds lighter. I was afraid that he might be disappointed when he saw me, that he might send me home the next day. So she walks into the house, and of course, he has tons of people over, including women, and he's playing pool. He sees her. He gives her a big kiss. He's so excited. He's showing her off. But she just has to sit in the corner and wait for him to be finished partying all night. I felt out of touch with his new life, even though the girls told me he talked about me often and even showed my pictures around. I'd see now that he was mischievous and self-confident to the point of cockiness. He also seemed quick to anger. I wasn't sure if I liked that. I knew he was protecting me, but there were so many pretty girls around, and I wanted to make sure everyone knew he was mine. So he finally sends her upstairs and goes, listen, wait a few minutes and go up there. We don't want it to be obvious that we're walking up there together. So I don't really understand what her position was in society. Like, I guess everybody knew there was this 16-year-old girl. I don't know what part of that he was hiding from everybody else, because clearly all of the men knew. I don't know if he was hiding it from, I guess he had girlfriends. I don't know if it was the press, if it was the age. I don't know what it was about her specifically that he was so intent on hiding. But even in his own house, he didn't ever want to be seen with her going upstairs. I guess it's because he did have full-on girlfriends. He didn't ever want everybody knowing. Yeah. I was 16. I tried to imagine what this new Elvis, whom I hardly knew at all, might be expecting of me. So he comes into the room, and she, like, gets ready in the bathroom. I walked slowly towards him, climbed into bed, and lay down next to him. Our faces were only inches apart. It was such an unexpected moment of tenderness that I was mesmerized looking into his eyes. So they have these moments where she feels, like, very specifically, like, only girl in the world close to him. And this is the high that she chases from age 14 to 28. As we lay in the dim light, he soon discovered that I was still untouched as he left me two years before. Relieved and pleased, he told me how much this meant to him. It was as if every feeling I had as a woman began to emerge, and I began kissing him passionately. I wanted him. I was ready to submit entirely to him. He returned my passion, then abruptly he stopped. Wait a minute, baby, he said, speaking softly. This can get out of hand. I just want to keep you the way you are for now. There will be a right time and place, and when the moment comes, I'll know it. So he's like, you really can't sleep here with me because of your parents. So we need you to go to my friend George's house because 
it'd be a really bad look if people thought we were sleeping in the same bed together. Turns out she finds out many years later, Anita, his girlfriend that he'd been dating when they were together in Germany, had been sent back to Memphis the day before and Elvis was taking precautions to avoid any awkward situations for himself that might have resulted from late night phone calls. I'm so sad that she thinks she's showing off a tender side of Elvis in this book. They go to Vegas for the rest of the time that she's in town and they're just like doing drugs to stay up all night and then sleeping all day. And it's just like a whirlwind adventure. And then she has to go back to Germany. Something weird about him is that he always has to have all the TVs on in addition to all the people in the room. They would get to Vegas and they would make his room completely like how it is at home. And everybody would get in there and start to party. So when he walked in, it never felt empty. Vegas is also the first time that he ever directs his anger directly at her. He's talking about wanting to make more music that people will be excited about. He hasn't had a big hit in a minute. And she's like, I like Jailhouse Rock. And he like freaks out. And he's like, I didn't ask for your opinion. Shut the fuck up. He also starts to change her look. He goes, come on, baby, we're going shopping. This was Elvis's way of making up for his outburst. But it took me a little while to get over it. Forcing an enthusiastic smile, I went along. I was beginning to understand how everyone's mood played off Elvis. So he's obsessed with the look of the time, which is it's the 60s. Women are going away from the kind of natural, easy look. And he likes a beehive hair. He likes it high tees, lots of makeup. If you come down with not enough makeup on, he'll say, go back up. He goes, there's nothing wrong with it, honey. It's just that this is Vegas. Everyone has their hair done. You need to apply more makeup around your eyes. Make them stand out more. They're too plain naturally. I like a lot of makeup. It defines your features. They go shopping, and he buys her, like, tight, mature dresses. When Elvis saw something he liked, he didn't think in terms of age. I mean, obviously. For the next two weeks, we slept during the day and played at night. If there was a show, we saw it. If there was a casino, we played it. To help me adapt to this fast-paced lifestyle and unusual hours, I would join Elvis and the others in taking amphetamines and sleeping pills. Despite whatever misgivings I had about the pills, I took them. In order for me to keep up, they became essential. So she has to go back to Germany from this, like, whirlwind couple of weeks where she's partying with adult men. His deep belief in consummating our love affair only in marriage gave me hope for the future. As she leaves, he says, I want you back the way you are now, he whispered just before dawn. And remember, I'll always know. Ew. I smiled and nodded. I couldn't conceive of wanting anyone but him. It makes me so sad that she thinks this is, like, a compliment. So she gets back to Germany. She's been, like, crying the whole plane ride. She forgot to take off her makeup and her outfit, and her parents were like, what the fuck are you wearing? They had left their 16-year-old daughter, who was, like, a sweet, beautiful girl, and walking back in is, like, a 39-year-old hardened siren with tears down her face. Yeah. They freak out, and it just kind of continues to create distance between them because she's like, well, they don't understand me. He's calling her 4 a.m. whenever he feels like it. I mean, he keeps crazy hours as it is. But then on top of that, I bet he has no regard for a time difference. That being said, I do think the hours he keeps would be normal hours in Germany. So he's like, if you're good, maybe your parents will let you come back for a little bit over Christmas. So she goes back to spend Christmas at Graceland and she gets there and they're like, here, take these pills. And she just gets knocked out cold for two days. She wakes up shaking, and the grandmother's like, you really shouldn't have done that to her. She's so tiny. Two days. That's two days off my trip. She's not mad that he drugged her and she almost died. She's mad that she, like, lost time with him. So she's hanging out with these grown men all the time. They play, like, rough games sometimes. Like, they do roller derby. I mean, the life that Elvis has at Graceland is everybody comes to him. Nobody's allowed to leave. They better be up when he's up. One time he comes down and one of his friends isn't over at the house yet. And he goes, whenever I wake up, you call all of my friends and you get them here so that they're waiting for me when I'm downstairs. If dinner isn't perfect, he's screaming at everybody. 
But then he also is like creating these games all the time. Like he's getting them all fireworks so they can shoot fireworks at each other. He's getting them all go-karts. When he wants a truck, everybody gets a truck. Later, he wants a horse, so everybody gets a horse. When he wants a motorcycle, everybody gets a motorcycle so they can do everything together. They rent out the movie theater and they watch seven movies in a row all night. And she reads this as generosity. Yeah. But it's control. Elvis seemed to know exactly what he was doing. I noticed whenever someone was hurt, he was the first to see if they were all right and to decide if they should continue to play. That's not generosity. That's not caring. That's like violent obsession. (laughs) He always avoided problems. If I was disturbed or depressed or if I felt that we were becoming distant and wanted to get closer by talking it out, he avoided me or told me my timing was bad. There was never a good time. She's like never truly able to open up to him, but she's obsessed with being the only person in his life that he can really talk to by molding herself and her problems around just being the receptacle that he needs. I became obsessed and watched what Elvis liked, what attracted him, trying to be everything he ever imagined a woman could be and more. So they call her dad and say, can she stay longer? And her dad's like, of course not. She has to go to school. And Elvis freaks out and starts like having a fucking conniption and screaming. And Elvis's own father has to be like, well, she's 16. She has to go to school. That makes sense. He goes, okay, you go back and do a good job and be nice to your parents and I'll come up with a plan to get you back here as soon as possible. And they decide she's going to finish school in Memphis living with Elvis. And Elvis goes, I'll pick the school. He picks a Catholic school, which is weird because then later she talks about how they like sexually role play a lot. They never actually consummate, but you know, there's other ways to get off. And one of their big roles is her playing schoolgirl. And I'm like, well, she's not playing schoolgirl. She's literally going to school every day in a Catholic school uniform and coming home and still being 16. I now believe my parents are a threat to my future happiness. I didn't realize their fears and concerns were entirely reasonable. I want to say this sounds reasonable, but throughout the book, when she talks about her parents' concerns, she does not believe her parents' concerns, and I don't actually think they are either, that a 26-year-old man is trying to date their 16-year-old daughter. Their concerns are that a 26-year-old man is trying to date their 16-year-old daughter, and it will not potentially result in marriage. She's like, I understand that they think I could become brokenhearted. Not they understand that I'm being Can abused. I say, yeah, I don't think she understands the implication. I think her parents were saying, like, he's going to break your heart. Yeah. And she doesn't understand what they meant by that. Yeah. Like, ruin your life. But it was too late. Her life was already ruined. But mother, I pleaded, you don't understand. He wants me there with him. Why you, she asked, her voice thick with emotion. Why can't he find someone his own age? You're only 16. What is this man doing to our family? She buried her face in her hands and began crying. What had started out as a simple introduction to the world's greatest rock and roll star had turned into a nightmare for them. I did feel sorry for her. We were always close. She was always there for me, but this time she just didn't understand. I hated seeing her in pain, but nothing seemed more important to me than Elvis, not even my mother. This left my parents in a dilemma. If Elvis were as sincere as he sounded, there was a chance that our relationship might work out, but if it didn't work out, they ran the risk of my returning to them disillusioned and brokenhearted. If they refused to let me go, I might never forgive them, and I would bitterly regret this unfulfilled love for the rest of my life. In that light, there was little that they could do but say yes, and eventually they did. In truth, I was as mystified as my parents were about why Elvis wanted me to come live with him. I think he was attracted by the fact that I had a normal, stable childhood and that I was very responsible. I was more mature at 16 than I had been at 14, not only because I'd gone through the normal growing period, but also because I had experienced the pain of living without him. Most of all, he knew he could depend on me. I wasn't interested in a career in Hollywood or anything else that would draw my attention away from him. I also had all the physical attributes that Elvis liked, the fundamentals he could use in turning me into his ideal woman. In short, I had everything that Elvis had been looking for in a woman. Youth and innocence, total devotion, and no problems of my own. And I was hard to get. No, you weren't. I mean, she was in the sense that he had to call her parents and, like, this is now two and a half years of him trying to be with her. Yeah. I mean, she was literally hard to get and that she was in Germany and a minor. Right. 
I mean, it just is so sad because it's like right words, wrong conclusion. Do you know what I mean? She's not the hard to get part, but like, oh, what he liked about me is that I was easy to mold into his ideal person. And she's like, see, that was really good. And I'm like, no, a man who is attracted to those qualities is repugnant. I intended to do whatever I had to do to hold him because if he had ever sent me home, it would have meant not only that I had been wrong in going to him, but that my parents had been wrong for having permitted it. I firmly resolved to make our relationship work no matter what. And I do believe that this is the way that manipulative assholes always come out. I mean, they obviously don't always come out winning, but like this is the key to success is to get a woman to like think it's us against the world and we'll work it out no matter what. And then like no matter how you treat her, she keeps fighting for you. It's horrible. So she goes to L.A., but they ultimately were going to live in Graceland after his movie was done. And he is working on his movie and he's working with some hot new young up and coming actress and Margaret. And he's like, listen, it wouldn't be good for you to be here while I'm filming. So why don't you just go to Graceland without me? So she moves to Graceland, not into the actual house, but into his dad's house down the street with no money, 16 years old, no friends, no job, no nothing. And he's like, just wait there for me and don't get a hobby and don't leave the house because I want you there when I call. Oh, God. She just starts slowly moving her stuff into Graceland anyway. And by the time he's like, why don't you just move into Graceland instead of living with my dad? She already had. She's not allowed to have friends because he doesn't like when there are strangers in the house. I wanted to say, Elvis, talk to me. Help me get through these new experiences. But I realized that he didn't want to hear about my problems. He felt he had enough of his own. When he asked me how I was doing, I became very animated and said, just great, Elvis. Everything is wonderful. And when we hung up, I still felt an emptiness. I began counting the days until he came home. So she wants money to do activities, so she starts modeling for a local boutique, and Elvis finds out and says, it's either me or a career baby, because when I call, you need to be there. My world consisted solely of him. I sat quietly, happily observing him. Whenever he winked at me or gave my hand a little squeeze, I returned the gesture, thinking, now, does he want to leave so he can follow me? But then he'd lean back in his chair and begin telling another story. He would just sit around and talk about all of his co-stars. He was making fun of Ursula Andress, who was famously like a very sexy woman at the time. Actually, she is the woman that Harry Hamlin had a baby with when he was 24. Huh. But he's like, oh, she's so big. I had no interest in her. But of course, he was having sex with, as the media was reporting on, every single one of his co-stars. And she just had to sit there and listen to it. And then whenever she asked about it, he'd be like, oh, you're crazy. It's just rumors. So then she becomes bolder. She's afraid to like not be the girl of his dreams. So she kind of starts making sexual advances. And then he stops her and says, I'm not saying we can't do other things. It's the actual encounter. I want to save it. Fearful of not pleasing him, of destroying my image of his little girl, I resigned myself to the long wait. Instead of consummating our love the usual way, he began teaching me other means of pleasing him. So they begin doing a lot of role playing and filming it. They're really into like Polaroids and videotapes. Yeah. She's constantly buying new Polaroids every single day so that he can take photos of her. Under no circumstances were his ideas or playfulness perverted or in any way harmful. I mean, they were because you were literally a kid. I like feel so sad because I know that to say to someone you're being abused, what does that help? Do you know what I mean? Like if that is not the way someone chooses to like identify I don't think it's useful to like force them to admit, but I do think that putting this book out there is very stressful for me. This is how I feel about Portia de Rossi's book. And like when you release like a how-to for grooming, it is like not good. So I want to be clear. My anger isn't at her. I feel very sad at her. He's coming and going all the time. And when he's gone, she just has to sit there and wait for him. Her only friend is really the grandmother who they call Dodger because once when he was a baby, Elvis threw something at her and she dodged it. So they call her the Dodger as a joking reference to a tantrum he threw 10 years ago. I was Elvis's doll, his own living doll, to fashion as he pleased. 
The more together we were, the more I came to resemble him in every way. His tastes, his insecurities, his hang-ups all became mine. Elvis liked long hair. When I had cut mine without asking his permission, he was shocked. How could you cut your goddamn hair? You know I like long hair. Men love long hair. He wanted it long and jet black, dyed to match his, because he said, You have blue eyes, Scylla, like mine. Black hair will make them stand out more. There were evenings when he'd send me back upstairs to change clothes because my choice was dull, unflattering, or not dressy enough for him. Even the way I walked came under review. He told me to move more slowly, and for a short while, he had me walking around the house with a book on my head. I appreciated his interest, but I hated having to hear him remind me of my shortcomings so many times. I mean, she has story after story of her having a chip in her toenail polish and him looking at her and her having to be like, I'm so sorry, I'm getting them done tomorrow, or the way that he would pinch her if her posture wasn't perfect. I was leading a double life, a schoolgirl by day, a femme fatale by night. I mean, at one point, she thinks she can confide in Jerry, who's someone that, like, is part of their crew, and he asks her how she's feeling, and then Elvis freaks out, and he's like, if anyone's going to ask her how she is, it's me, but he never asks her. He never cares. And meanwhile, her whole life is devoted to being his audience, essentially, his walking around audience. Elvis loved bumper cars and would team up with the entourage against some locals. They spend the night seemingly trying to kill one another. We girls watched and cheered them on. After several hours, my own enthusiasm waned. She really was expected to spend 10 to 12 hours a day just watching him in bumper cars. Demanding, yes, but Elvis could be just as generous. I mean, like we were saying earlier, he would always get everyone things, but it was like to please himself. And so it's things about how if they felt the pinch at the end of the month, he would give them money. And if he gave one money, he gave all of them money. But again, it was 24 hours a day. There was a full expectation that they did whatever he said. And when he starts touring again later in their relationship, they're all expected to come with. When he moves, they have to move. It doesn't matter if they have kids and families and wives. They have to leave everybody behind if he says leave them behind. So yeah, maybe he's helping them out by getting them a gift here or there, getting everybody a TV set. But what you have to do in exchange is complete devotion. And if you ever say something he doesn't like, he'll kick you out of the group. And then she's like, and some of these friends did end up turning on him. So he was right to kick them out of the group. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe they came to their senses and saw how awful he treated everybody. You had to fully predict his moods, act in accordance. Whatever you wanted to do, you had to do. You could never leave. You had to be awake when he was awake. You never got a day off. Also, he was such a mood swingy guy that like you could predict his mood perfectly and then it would just swing. And if you weren't like there to catch it exactly right, then you were still in the wrong. Elvis was the boss, the provider, and the power. Both the boys and I had to protect him from the people who annoyed or irritated him and were no longer in his favor. And he's like, so many people in his family weren't even nice to him before he got famous. And then as soon as he got famous, they would come by and ask for money. And of course, that bothered him. I mean, it would bother anybody to have people who never came by except for to ask. And she's like, he always gave. He was so generous. And I'm like, I don't know, man. He seems insane. I can tell you why he's so empty, because nobody in his life likes him. And nobody likes him because he paid them all to never be honest. Anything I could think of doing for him, I did. I made sure Graceland was always warm and inviting. She builds her life around making sure he has exactly what he wants all the time because that's the way he's built his life. Everyone around him makes sure that he has what he wants at all times. So she has to check and make sure his dinner is right every night. I loved babysitting Elvis. He had this little boy quality that could bring out the mother instinct in any woman, a beguiling way of seeming utterly dependent. It was this aspect of his charm that made me want to hold, shower him with affection, protect him, fight for him, and yes, even die for him. But I didn't always receive his approval. If something went wrong with his dinner, Elvis blew up. Why isn't the steak done? Why didn't you make sure the maids cooked it right? If you'd done your job, it wouldn't have turned out like this. I took responsibility for everything in his life and always took it all so personally. I wanted to be with Elvis as much as I could, but while going to the movies or the fairgrounds every night might have been a wonderful way for him to relax, it posed an enormous problem for me. So it's like this never-ending battle of her just wanting alone time to like truly connect with him because she knows. like She understands that they've never genuinely connected. 
But then also she's going to school and she has to graduate. She's like, I made this deal with my parents that I would graduate. And it was hard for her to graduate school when she was staying up till 6 a.m. every day, taking care of Elvis and then having to go to school at 7, 8 a.m. the next morning. So she's taking pills, sleeping pills to go to sleep, diet pills for energy during the day. And then finally she graduates by just cheating. She just goes up to this woman and is like, listen, I know you have good grades. I know you'd like to meet Elvis. What if I said you could go to an Elvis party tonight and all it would take is to let me copy you? Anyway, she graduates. So Elvis is excited about her graduation. She feels very special that he even cares, which is devastating. To me, it was more than just a piece of paper. It represented freedom, freedom to stay out till dawn if I wanted and sleep all day if I wanted. It represented freedom for my school uniform and from the teasing the entourage subjected me to every time they caught me in it, trying to sneak past them at Graceland as a big girl playing the big leagues. Now I could spend every minute with Elvis. We always seemed to be more in love when we were alone. I loved those times when he was just Elvis. So for the first few weeks, it is this like honeymoon where they're alone in his room. They're eating in bed. They're putting the trays outside. They're locked away. They barely see the light of day. They used to have these pillow fights. And at one point, she like hits him a little too hard with a pillow. And he like yanks her down, throws her down on the bed and hits her. She like runs away. And then he's like, stop acting like a man. That night we went to the movies, my arm was bruised when he grabbed me and my eyes were swollen black and blue. To make matters worse and to make sure he felt bad, I wore a patch over the bruised eye. Everyone teased me and Elvis joked, couldn't help it, she tried to get rough with me and I had to show her who's boss. Despite his teasing, Elvis felt terrible about the incident. He had immediately apologized to me and kept apologizing for days. I mean, what the fuck? I don't think she would ever characterize her relationship as physically abusive, but there are like half a dozen incidents in this book alone where he does something physically abusive, like throw a chair at her, throw her to the ground, scream at her, throw a record at her head. And then immediately apologize and be like, you know, I would never do something like that, right? Totally the way I would explain the fact that he did do something like that. She also is starting to be like, maybe you should get off the pills. I think it's the pills that's making you act this way. He insists that he knows everything there is to know about drugs. He has a giant encyclopedia of every medication out there. He calls them all by their like real medical names instead of their brand names and claims that he knows all the side effects and they're all being prescribed. And you don't know more than him, so you can't tell him what to do. However, his harsh objection to stopping made me realize that there could be a problem. I assumed he knew best for himself. So then he has to leave to make another movie. So then she's devastated that he's going to be gone again. He leaves and she's really sad about it. And he's like, why are you so sad? But she can't bring herself to tell him that she is afraid that he will bang his co-star. And the other thing is he doesn't want to hear it. If she were to say, this is my insecurity, he'd be like, that's not what I want you around for. If you're talking like that, you might be leaving soon. So I would watch it if you start doubting me. Of course, he is dating his co-star and margaret It didn't occur to me then, but I was living the way he wished. Out of Hollywood society, the girl back home. I adapted. I wasn't with him, but in a sense, I was. And I assumed that he would be as faithful to me as I was to him. Why then was I so sure that once Elvis was far away and very near to Anne margaret an affair would develop? So at some point, she's like, well, can I come visit you? And he's always like, no, it's not a good time. It's so crazy out here. He keeps delaying the visit. Like, they keep having something planned, and then he keeps pushing it back. And she knows that he doesn't like actresses. I knew his attitude towards actresses was unfavorable. They're into their careers, and their men come second. So he's like, why would I want an actress? Don't even worry about it. And that is the thing that I don't even know if she knows, that he has, like, the Madonna whore complex, where he, like, wants his virginal waiting-at-home wife, but he will never view her as the actual love interest that she believes she is he needs to have his like onset flings who think that they're dating him but he would never love them because they have sex so of course he is dating Anne margaret and when he finally lets her come visit her after the movie's wrapped at this point the newspapers were reporting their blossoming affair daily with each article hitting me like a slap in the face 
I thought, when will this be over the news, the gossip, the headlines, the affair? She is with him now. Priscilla goes out to visit him, and they're in L.A., and Elvis starts freaking out. I can't believe she did it. It turns out Anne Margaret had leaked to the news that they had gotten engaged, her and Elvis. And so that tip makes him pissed because now he has to deal with the fact that people think they're engaged, even though he has a full girlfriend at home. And so he breaks it off with her. Priscilla freaks out about the news that he's literally engaged to another woman. He freaks out to her and says, look, goddammit, I didn't know this was going to get out of hand. I want a woman who's going to understand that things like this might just happen. He gave me a hard, penetrating look. Are you going to be her or not? So then he promises to her that it's over and she's like, okay, that's fine. I would be a little more skeptical now. I mean, there was just nothing you could do. Like you could be skeptical or not be skeptical. He's going to do what he's going to do and you have to accept it or not. I mean, he's always just having these affairs. It's one of those things where it doesn't matter if it's Anne Margaret. It doesn't matter if it's the next one. There's always a million women. And when she gets upset about it, he literally says, well, do you want me to send you home? And at some point she goes, fine, I'll leave. And he makes her pack up all her shit and he walks her out the door and she's hysterically crying. And then finally he says... Now do you understand? Do you see that you need this? You need someone to take you right to this point and put you in your place. I was relieved and happy to be back in his arms. Anything he'd said would have made sense to me in that moment. What I didn't realize until later is that this was Elvis's technique of keeping me under control. I mean, I will say when he's literally saying to you, do you see this is a trick I did on you to put you back in your place? And for you to be like, only years later did I realize he was using it as a trick to put me in my place. I'm like, well, he'd said it to you. That was the first hint. (laughs) My eagerness to please Elvis was so overwhelming that it almost angered him. He always had an excuse about why his other relationships hadn't worked out. They were either too hometown and couldn't fit in with his Hollywood lifestyle, or they were actresses too into their careers. But how could he get out of a commitment to such a willing partner as me? (sighs) I mean, she's falling further and further away from her family. They're desperate to hang out with her, especially when she's in L.A. They're at Sacramento at this point, and they're like, well, why can't you see us? And she's doing everything she can to keep them away. And the worst is when they come to visit her and she's like, I can't explain Elvis's life. So, like, yeah. she is more and more distant from everyone in her life. Because she also feels like anytime she leaves Elvis's side, he could just sleep with someone else. So she's like, I can't spend time with my parents. My boyfriend will fuck someone. Everything wasn't nearly as promising as I'd led my parents to believe. Elvis and I couldn't really be happy together because he was so unhappy in his career. So his problem is that he wants to be a dramatic actor, but they only let him do musicals. And the musicals are getting worse and worse and worse. They're just remaking the same thing every time. And the problem is, like, the worse they get, the less they say he can take a risk, yada, yada, yada. You know the deal. So there's this guy named Colonel Parker in his life who seems to be his business manager. I think the other Elvis movie is mostly about him. I think the other Elvis movie was about him played by Tom Hanks and about how this man completely controlled Elvis's life. It seems like in their circle, everyone looks up to Elvis and Elvis has the final say, except for with the colonel. The colonel tells Elvis what's what. And I don't know if that's contractual. I don't know if you knew. Like, I don't know the story there. It's not about the colonel and Elvis. It's about me and Elvis. And in this situation, I'm Priscilla. I wanted desperately to help him. I wasn't sure how. In my innocence, I kept trying to convince him to argue with the colonel, but he would only get angry saying I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't understand his difficulty in revealing his weaknesses to me. Only later did I realize how important it was to Elvis to always appear in control in front of me. His role with me was that of a lover and a father, and with neither could he let down his guard and become fallible or truly intimate. Okay, so the problem here is that he does reveal his weaknesses to you. You're just too young, naive, and manipulated to view these characteristics as weaknesses. Yeah. Like, the fact that he has this insane temper, the fact that he is so insecure, the fact that he stays up all night and, like, sleeps, like, all of these things are character flaws. He is weak. You just are too enamored. Elvis is getting more and more out of shape. He eats like a pound of bacon every single day. It's insane how much he eats. It's like too much bacon. And he loves like a burnt to a crisp steak. So he's eating burnt to a crisp steak, peanut butter and banana sandwiches, and then just pounds and pounds of bacon every single day. He's also doing more drugs than most people do in a lifetime every week. 
And at this point, the colonel is trying to get a hold on it by using his entourage against him, not even against him, but just to keep taps on him. And Alvis hates that. He's like, how dare you tell the colonel how I'm doing? When Colonel made Joe responsible for reporting to him on Elvis's mental and emotional state, a euphemistic phrase for drug use, Elvis found out and said, I don't want any sons of bitches here telling Colonel what I do or what goes on in this household. He fired Joe on the spot. From the time I first arrived at Graceland, I began to notice a gradual change in Elvis's personality. In the early days of our relationship, he seemed to be more in command of his emotions. Sometimes he lashed out just to drive a point home. He was truly a master at manipulating people. I mean, that's the thing is he wasn't a master at manipulating people. He just held all the cards. Like, he's so manipulative. I'm like, he wasn't manipulative. Just, like, people's mortgages depended on keeping him happy. He had all the money. Yeah. And he was the boss. Like, he's not getting one over on people. They just don't know what else to do. Because when you've tethered your life to someone in this way, untethering it requires you to, like, accept having a huge fucking hole in your existence for a while. I do feel like one of the warning stories about this is not just dating like a man older with more power than you, but about the entourage that you can't possibly say that these people are having a good time. I feel like be careful of getting in near to power without real boundaries because it's $250 a week worth it to give up the right to your own life and time and holidays and where you get to live and who you get to be with. To me? No. Get dressed for every season with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is my favorite way to level up my style because I have a stylist now. With Stitch Fix, you get a fashion expert who shops for you and knows exactly what you like. They'll figure out what fits. They'll send you pieces in your budget, and it just makes shopping so much easier. Stitch Fix is the best way to shop new styles and brands. Think of them as like a style partner. So the longer you stick with Stitch Fix, the more they figure out exactly what you're going to want to wear. And they'll send styles that they know you'll love directly to your home. And you can just return whatever you don't like. You simply share your style, sizes, and budget with a quick style quiz. And Stitch Fix will send you five items right to your door. With your choices in mind and sizes from extra small to 3XL, they'll find the perfect fit. You just try everything on in the comfort of your own home, and they have over 1,000 brands and styles, so no matter what season of life you're in, Stitch Fix has you covered. You can order a refresh as needed, or you can set regular fixes. Over time, they figure out exactly what your wardrobe needs. Thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me, and they'll get you too. Try Stitch Fix today at stitchfix.com worm, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash worm, stitchfix.com slash worm. Elvis was filled with complexities and contradictions. She gets more into his personality. It is not complex or contradictory. He's just like kind of an asshole. He loves to read spooky stuff and watch scary movies and he took her to a morgue. And then he gets really into God. He had always been semi-spiritual. He always kept a Bible by his bed and when things were going wrong, he would really read it more and more. But then... He gets really into the metaphysical and he's reading Siddhartha and the impersonal life and he gets really into numerology. He starts learning about Buddhism and yogis. And this actually is really hard on Priscilla because she's like, I can't believe he's getting so into like spirituality and like understanding and getting in touch with your being. But he won't ask me how my day was. Also, he wants her to get into it. So if she has to start going to lectures and start reading books and if she falls asleep, he gets really mad at her and is like, you know, there's a ton of women who'd love to talk about this stuff with me. It really is like his way or the highway. He wants, you know what he wants? What? Mithrigan. <laughs> he wants a tiny little girl doll who will just be interested in whatever he says he's interested in and always be loyal to him. That's so true. And never get older. Although I was striving to be a soulmate and steadily becoming more aware of myself as a spiritual being, my heart longed for the very temptation he was fighting to conquer. 
So he decides that he doesn't want sex ever again. Or he needs to conquer his, like, desire for sex. And it's so funny because she's like, well, I guess that's good because it means he won't cheat on me when we get married. But I'm like, he's definitely fucking somebody right now. It's just not you. Yeah. In April of 1964, Larry Geller was hired to replace Elvis's barber, Sal Orifice. I don't know if that matters, but that's the truth. Well, that's who introduced them to a lot of these spiritual practices. Yeah, I don't know if it matters who the former barber was. Maybe in your neck of the wood, you got a lot of famous barbers, and actually that's an important name. <laughs> Anyway, so this guy, Larry Geller, is a real talker and really spiritual and starts introducing him to things and everybody immediately gets nervous. Everybody's like, oh, no, this is like a cult leader. Let me tell you something about Elvis Presley. If he could have held on for like 10 more years, he would have 100% been the Tom Cruise. Yeah. He was meant to lead Scientology. Yeah. As a soulmate, I was expected to search for answers as fervently as he did, but I couldn't bear reading the ponderous tracks that surrounded us in bed every night. Things will never work out between us, Scylla, because you don't show any interest in me or my philosophies. There are a lot of women out there who would share these things with me. So this guy, Larry, is lecturing him for hours and hours and hours. They're staying up all night talking about spirituality. And he starts telling everybody, whereas he used to make everybody sit around and listen to Elvis read the Bible. Now everybody has to listen to Larry read whatever he thinks. And it's very clear that he's like getting into Elvis's brain. Elvis is coming to Larry, his barber, with existential questions like, what was my purpose on this planet and how should I behave? Yeah. <laughs> Which is like a lot of power for a barber. And then they start doing drugs. They, like, try LSD, and we're like, that was a bit much. Because he also doesn't like street drugs. He likes prescription drugs. He hates the street drug. His number one anger in the world is that kids are doing street drugs, he says, as he passes out on his 19th quaalude of the night. <laughs> Priscilla gets a horse, and it's, like, what she always wanted, and she starts riding horses. And then she wants Elvis to get a horse because she, like, wants to ride horses together. But because Elvis decides actually horses are cool, then, like, the whole entourage becomes horse girls. By 1966, Elvis's long search for answers to the mystery of life involved us all in the strange games he loved to devise. And so he would make them go outside and be like, do you see the planets moving? Or you'd be like, look in the ceiling, do you see the faces emerge? Or he'd be like, look at all these fairies, they're out in the garden, and they'd have to look and be like, yeah, we see them. After his death, some of us discussed those days, bringing up the possibility of a nervous breakdown and then discounting it. More likely, it was just a game that he made up out of boredom and depression because he was experiencing such a low point in his career. He took sleeping pills to escape, and while fighting off their effect, he created his images, his mystical exercises. Okay, so those are three separate things. One is a mental breakdown. Two is hallucinations because he's on too much drugs. And then three is like a game because he was bored. Those are all very different levels. If you're playing levels. the game of do you see the images I see that don't exist because I'm on too many drugs, like that's actually, I would say, a nervous breakdown. And the fact that he had an entire entourage of people whose entire job was to make sure he was okay who to this day don't know if he was having a mental breakdown or not. I'm like, then what were they doing? Yeah. It is crazy that you could be surrounded by that many people who are that influenced by needing to be on your payroll and not saying anything against you, that you could die in front of their eyes and not one of them would say a word. Like, what is the point of an entourage? That's why I only have Ashley. I would never tell you if you were dying. Yes, you would. That's the, like the whole point is that you're not an entourage. I always tell you when you're wrong, even when you're not wrong. <laughs> and we just argue. Christmas of 1966, he gets down on one knee and does not propose. This is very important. He says, we're going to be married. You're going to be his. I told you I would know when the time is right. Well, the time is right. He slipped the ring on my finger. I was too overwhelmed to speak. It was the most beautiful romantic moment of my life. It's so sad that that was the most beautiful romantic moment of your life, being told what your future was. Our love would no longer be a secret. I'd be free to travel openly as Mrs. Elvis Presley without the fear of inspiring some scandalous headline. She later says that in some article she's called Hollywood's best kept secret, which again, I'm like, what was the secret part? Was it the age? Was it the fact that he had all these other public girlfriends when secretly he had a girlfriend at home? 
when you say best kept secret, like what does that mean to you? I also want to point out that he really loved baby talk. And his baby talk isn't even baby talk I recognize. He called everybody in third person. So he'd be like, he loves she in the bed. She wants you to stop saying that. She loves him too? That would snap me out of any trance. It's a little bit like Yoda-ish. He learned it from his mom. Ew! So she tells her parents they are so happy. They no longer had to worry about whether they made the right decision in allowing me to leave home at such a young age. Colonel Parker had asked him to take a long look at our relationship and decide where he wanted it to go. Elvis's attitude towards marriage was that it was final. They would get divorced within like six years. Although he was monogamous by that nature, he loved options. What does any word mean? Like, it's so weird watching her talk about him be like, he's so generous. He loved to control people. He was very monogamous, except for the fact that he loved to cheat. Like, what is yeah. she? Marriage was final, except for the fact that he fully got divorced. The way that her formative years were spent inside of his tornado of bullshit it's like if people just speak a different language to you every year of your life and then you never really have a proper way to communicate. It's so true. Like words mean nothing to her. Yeah. How could you say that he was monogamous by nature? No, he fucking wasn't. He was not true to you a day in your goddamn life. Exactly. Like, what does that mean to you? It means that he probably said I was monogamous by nature. And she goes, oh, yeah, totally. Well, I think what it means is that he said if you ever even looked at another man, it'd be over for us. He loved monogamy from his women, that he was multiple dating at once. So now that they're engaged, she starts to let herself dream of a world where it's just the two of them. And she gets him to buy this ranch. But then he's like, oh, that's such a great idea. We'll have this ranch. And on the ranch, we'll build mobile homes for all my friends. So everybody has to move to the ranch with him. And they end up putting in a million dollars. And this is in the 60s. And that's like a ton of money. And he is not putting out good movies anymore. They're spending it faster than it's coming in. Everybody's freaking out. And he doesn't care. He's like, bring in more people, bring in more employers, get everybody a truck so we can all drive our trucks around. And after a few weeks, everybody on the ranch is like, hey, man, this has been so fun. But, you know, my kids, they have to go back to school. We got to go back to Memphis. And he's like, how dare you? I bought you a fucking truck and you're not going to live on this ranch with me. So they just had to stay. So then he goes to do another movie and he gets knocked upside the head because he's like taking too many diet pills and he falls down. And then he has a concussion. And so... The colonel kind of uses this concussion to be like, and you can't read your freaky spiritual books anymore either for your health. And so they burn all the spiritual books. Literally. We poured gasoline over the pile, lit a match, and kissed the past goodbye. And then they fired the hair cutter. So they're planning a wedding, and he basically says, go get a dress, and as soon as you find a dress, we'll get married. And it's a big to-do to keep away from the media. She has no idea how to plan a wedding. She's only 21, and she doesn't know a goddamn thing. I mean, she's never had a friend. They didn't have to say yes to the dress back then. Yeah. She goes with a member of the entourage, Charlie, and they act like they're fiancés. And then she just picks out dresses. This is the quote. When I read in the newspapers that I was the best kept secret in Hollywood, I felt very proud. It was good to be acknowledged. I don't know what that means. So they come up with this whole concoction of they're going to drive out to Palm Springs, pretend they're getting married in Palm Springs, fly to Vegas in the middle of the night, get married there, and then have a party in the hotel before anybody can find out. But it's a big, you know, clusterfuck of only so many people can be invited. And he has such a large entourage that if people are getting their feelings hurt. He gets to go. They look back at the whole thing in regret. And they said, we wish we hadn't fought the media so much and just said, fuck it. The press is going to get photos and it's going to leak. But we wish we could have invited 100,000 people. Like, totally. For that very important six-year marriage. It's so sad that you didn't have a bigger party for it. Yeah. So then they're married. They spent, like, two days awake running around the West Coast to, like, keep the marriage a secret. And they finally get home to their bed. 
he throws her down on the bed and they bang for the very first time. I went from a child to a woman. The long, romantic, yet frustrating adventure that Elvis and I had shared all seemed worthwhile. I am so freaked out by how obsessed he was with, like, a virgin child bride. Yeah. Because also, after they got married, they just, like, kind of never saw each other again. They were married for six years, but they spent, like, five years seeing each other, like, once a month. If that. Yeah. (laughs) And never alone. Never alone. There's an old Southern belief that holds that the woman goes into a marriage thinking she can change her man while a man wants to keep his woman the same forever. I didn't want to change all this, but I did have the romantic delusion that once we were married, I could change our lifestyle. It's weird to me that she doesn't see the lifestyle as a direct extension of who Elvis is as a person. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can choose to not have an entourage that says yes to your every whim. You can choose not to fire people on the spot. You can choose not to buy a ranch because you walked by a ranch one time and said, that looks fun. The lifestyle isn't like him saying yes to a lot of jobs and slowing down. The lifestyle is his choice. So a few months into being married, she feels a funny feeling in her body and she calls Elvis's cousin which is like her only friend and is like I have a funny feeling she doesn't tell Elvis right away she's kind of freaking out and she's going through like kind of the five stages of grief almost she gets really upset because before their marriage because she knew once they got married they'd have sex and she asked Elvis if she could get birth control and he said no because he thought it would like mess her up they're not perfected baby there's all kinds of side effects I mean they still haven't perfected it Was he wrong? No. But was he right? Also no. Right. And is it disgusting that for a grown woman, soon to be bride, to have to get her husband's permission to potentially take a drug? Like, that's awful. So now she's pregnant and she wasn't ready yet. She's like, I thought we'd have like a couple of years to like travel together and be together. And of course they wouldn't have. You know what I mean? They weren't going to spend time alone traveling together. That's not really his way. But he's so excited. He's really happy to be a father. It was supposed to be our time alone. I wanted to be beautiful for him, and instead my debut as Elvis's bride was going to be spoiled by a fat stomach, puffy face, and swollen feet. As far as I was concerned, the less people mentioned about my looking pregnant, the better. I intended to prove that pregnant women did not have to get fat. I wanted to refute Elvis's claims that women use the excuse of pregnancy to let themselves go. Although the doctor said that a 25-pound weight gain would be fine, I immediately dropped from my normal 110 pounds to 100. During the next four months, I gained just five pounds and only nine more by the time of delivery. Oh, I'm so sad for her. Meanwhile, she starts hearing rumors about Elvis and Nancy Sinatra again, the same rumors that I had read about in Germany, that she had a passionate crush on him and that they were having an affair. Elvis assured me that I was just being oversensitive because of my condition. I agreed. Six months into my pregnancy, Nancy called and said she'd like to give me a baby shower. Nancy, you're crazy for this This one. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard a woman do. I literally was like, oh, this isn't a baby shower, but it was a farewell party to her competition. She was like, you dumb bitch, you got pregnant. He's never going to want you. I won this thing. Can I say, Nancy was not wrong. He, like, kind of never touched her again. Yeah. So then, a couple months later, she's seven months pregnant. He calls her to the office and says, Scylla, I have to have some time to think. Things just aren't going right. It'll be good for the two of us to take a little time off, like a trial separation, be apart from one another for a while. I wanted to die. I was seven months along and could not believe what I was hearing. It had to be a joke. What are you saying? What did I do? You didn't do anything, baby. You don't understand. It's not you. It's just that I'm going through some things, and I think it'd be better if we took a little break. So she just goes numb and, like, packs up her stuff and is, like, fine. And then two days later, he comes back, and they pretend it never happened. It's weird because then she keeps talking about how when she was pregnant, she did everything she could to keep up with him. And until eight months pregnant, she was go-karting, motorcycling, horseback riding, running around, staying up late. And then only in that last month did she be like, okay, I think I have to go to bed. And I'm like, so then where in this time 
If you're working your fucking ass off to be pregnant, starving yourself and still getting on a horse and go-karting with your fucking asshole husband, did you have time to have an affair and then also want to take a break? I don't know, man. So then she goes into labor. They're very happy. He says she's so perfect. Even the hair color is just right about their baby. That's Elvis's take on having a baby. The man in my hospital room that day was the man I loved and will always love. He didn't have to try to be strong and decisive and sexy. He wasn't afraid to show his warmth or vulnerability. He didn't have to act the part of Elvis Presley's superstar. What did he do? All he did was, like, not be a dick on the day of her giving birth. She's just, like, created a version of him that she thinks he's capable of being. And every time he isn't actively not that version, she's like, see, I knew it. Then he becomes withdrawn. He refuses to touch her in at first. He's like, it's for your own safety. I don't want to hurt you. But then she realized Elvis accepted fatherhood with a great deal of joy. But the fact that I was a mother had a disquieting effect on him. I didn't understand it till later, but when his own wife becomes a mother, this bank of memories is ripped open and his passion may dissipate. She acts like this is very normal for men to be repulsed by women when they become moms because it reminds them of their own mom. And now he's like, well, how could I fuck you? You're my mom. It is so upsetting to me. This is not the first time we've read this type of thing. A woman like pathologizing why a man is a complete fucking asshole to her. And it sucks. Because I also think, like, as women, if you follow any, like, dating content, that's kind of what a lot of it was up until, like, last year. It was all like, oh, well, if he's not calling you back, maybe it's because he, like, loves you too much and he's so stressed out about the idea of commitment. That was all dating books. I feel like there's such a tendency for women to be like, well, if you're not getting what you want, you have to understand where he's coming from and then change yourself entirely. Finally, months later, Elvis made love to me. Before we made love, he told me I was a young mother now that being a mother of his child is very special. But I wrote in my diary, I'm beginning to doubt my own sexuality as a woman. My physical and emotional needs were unfulfilled. He also said that, like, he had never been able to have sex with a woman who had a kid before, that he just, like, couldn't get it up for a woman who was a mom, and that the thing he loved about her was that he was saving her and how sacred she was. So it was like, yeah, she was ruined now. I mean, literally, it's not even that she's a mom. It's just that, like, now he's had sex with her. So he starts traveling a ton. He's working on live a little, love a little. They're completely distant. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to take dance classes. And for the first time in her life, she gets a crush. She has a crush and a hobby. And then she has an affair. This guy, Mike, is hanging out with her. He's pushing her to be better. Whenever she wants to quit, he's like, no, you can do this. You're so strong. You're such a good dancer. Be the best you can be. Mark was charismatic. And I was particularly vulnerable. I rationalized telling myself is because of the way he was always there for me. He seemed to understand me while the man I truly loved was involved in his own world. It was also the first time I was not competing for my own identity. This was a high I had not experienced recently, or ever really. I had a brief affair and decided to end it. I came out of it realizing I needed much more out of my relationship with Elvis. So we decided to go to Hawaii. And then she acts like she's like, we decided to go on a second honeymoon. So we only brought 15 people. It's so sad the way she's like, it didn't mean much. He just like was there for me as a person. Finally, in 1968, Elvis's five-year contract with MGM, the movie house, came to an end, and finally he was released from doing all those god-awful movies, and he goes back to TV, and he hadn't done TV in a really long time. He hadn't been live. He hadn't performed live. The only way to get to Elvis was to watch him in a movie, and people were not liking his movies as much as they had used to. So he takes on this opportunity to this live TV show, and he, like, gives it his all. He's working with a new young director who's really ready to listen to Elvis and, like, believe in what he has to do. He handpicks everybody. He works as hard as he can, and he knocks it out of the park. People fucking love it. It's a hit. And she, meanwhile, is really indulging in her passions for music and dance. But she's like, I can't even talk to him about it because he's so busy right now that I don't want to, like, throw off his game by, like, accidentally upsetting him by telling him I have interests. So in response to this, he gets to then go record a bunch of new songs, like In the Ghetto, Kentucky Rain, Suspicious Mind, and they're all hits again. For the first time, he's like back up on the charts in 10 years. And then he gets this unprecedented Vegas residency. 
where he's going to do two shows a day for 28 straight days. And he is friggin' nervous. He wants to blow everybody out of the water. It's the first time he's performed live in like a decade. He ends up knocking it out of the park. And then he gets this other deal in Vegas to do two like weekends a year for a million dollars. A million dollars a year, two weekends a year. So then he becomes the most touring artist alive. And at first, him doing so well made her happy because they were happy. He was happy so the relationship could flourish. But then very quickly, she could not compete with the attention of, like, the adoring fans. He became a phenomenon like he had never been before. He was higher than ever. It was his era's tour. Yeah. And he just wasn't happy going home to her. So he's on the road three weeks straight at a time, performing every single day, twice some days. And pretty quickly, it's like, I want the wives to only come at the opening and at the closing. And then it's like, I don't want the wives to come at all. And then it becomes like, and then we're going to go to Palm Springs on the weekends, boys only. No women are invited. So she wants to spend more time with him, but he doesn't like when his boys are distracted by wives. So he makes a no wives rule. And she never questions why she as a wife is not more important than the other wives. Yeah, she's like, well, he couldn't invite me because that's not fair to the people who work for him. I'm like, nothing's fair. If he had wanted you, you would have been there. Also, then, of course, she goes to their Palm Springs house one day and finds all these letters from the women he's had sex with there being like, can't wait to come back. And he's like, no, they're just crazy fans. And she's like, I had no way to disprove him. It was his word against mine. I'm like, no, it was his word versus the letters you literally found. I missed him. We talked constantly of being together more, but he knew if, if he let me join him, he couldn't refuse the request from the regulars whose marriages were also feeling the strain of long separations. I knew that I would have to fight for our relationship or accept the fact that we were now gradually growing apart. She has this one like humiliating moment where she like goes on stage during one of his shows to like kiss him. And he leaves her hanging. I don't really understand what their relationship were. Her suspicions are out of control, as they should be, because he's literally cheating on her every day. And then also, of course, nothing Golda can stay. He's addicted to the newfound fame and attention from the live performances, but he can't switch the live performances, but that means they're getting stale and he's getting bored of them. Bored and restless, he increases dependence on chemicals. He thought speed helped him escape from destructive thinking, when in reality it gave him false confidence and unnatural aggressiveness. He started losing perspective on himself and others. To me, he became increasingly unreachable. So I don't know what's going on with him because she doesn't know what's going on with him because they barely see each other. But, you know, he's trying to recreate this high every night. Once you have that level of dopamine from that kind of performance, you have to top it or you feel like it's a come down. He wasn't able in the short amount of time he had to create a whole new better show. So he was stuck in this no man's land of trying to recreate how good it was three weeks ago. He's doing a ton of drugs. He's not talking to her. He's pissed. And she is finding hobbies elsewhere. So she starts doing karate because he loves karate. And she's training with his karate teachers. And then she has another affair because she, like, loves when anyone is nice to her. She tells this crazy story that I don't even really want to get into that deep because it's third hand at this point because it's told to her by his manager because she wasn't speaking to him at this point. But he becomes obsessed with getting a federal narcotics officer badge. He had all these badges that he used to do whatever he wanted. And he realized if he had a narc badge, he could carry drugs and guns across the border and take them to the other countries. So he goes to President Nixon and writes him a letter demanding that he gets his own badge and helping him get street drugs out of the hands of children. Meanwhile, it's the most coked out story I've ever heard. It's been like 48 hours getting and to D.C. They like file for the badge and then it gets turned down and then they like just go and like ring the doorbell at the White House. And Nixon is like, what am I not going to give Elvis a badge? So he comes home with his badge. I don't know. It's so coked out, though. And the irony is that he's literally like, Nixon, let me help you get drugs off the streets to help the kids. Our marriage was now part-time. He wanted freedom to come and go as he pleased, and he did. 
When he was home, he was an attentive and loving father and husband, but it was clearly understood that I was mainly responsible for the parenting of Lisa. Can I say this thing about him being an attentive and loving husband and father at home? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. First of all, he's only home one day a month. And then the next story is about how he didn't like eating with Lisa because she was too messy and that Lisa didn't even recognize them. So she always cried when she was around them. And like even Priscilla wasn't that close with the baby because nobody spent time with the baby. That doesn't sound too attentive. If you don't even like watching your baby eat. Yeah, he says that Lisa would like play with her food. And so he would just go eat in another room and be like, well, when Lisa's done playing with her meal, she can come join us. Lisa sounds like a monster. She says by the time she was four, Lisa had figured out that if she didn't get exactly what she wanted, she could threaten the staff with getting fired. And it took years to break that habit of her. Elvis said to hell with values about raising his own child. I mean, they just try to make it work for a few years. They try to get a house in Bel Air. She becomes obsessed with decorating it. They just don't see each other. It's really distant. It's really sad. She just is alone. And she's like trying to fill her life with these hobbies that she's really only allowed to do when he doesn't notice that she's not sitting home waiting. She has another affair with her karate instructor, Michael. And then she sees him in Vegas. And she's having dinner with friends in between his late night show and his early show. So I guess the early and the late show. And he calls her up to the suite and she's like, well, this is weird because he never goes to the suite between shows. She gets up there. He's really on drugs. He's all puffy and fucked up looking. His health has been very bad. He's lying naked on the bed and he has very rough sex with her in a way that she's like, I did not like that. That's not the man I knew. It made me really uncomfortable. He passed out immediately on drugs. And when he woke up the next day, I packed everything up and said, I'm leaving. Elvis sat up and asked, what do you mean leaving? Never in the entire time of our marriage had I ever suggested walking out on him. I mean our marriage. Are you out of your mind? You have everything any woman could want. You can't mean that, goddammit. I don't believe what I'm hearing. You mean I've been so blind that I don't know what's going on? I've been so wrapped up I didn't see this coming? I mean, yeah. So then he goes, maybe another time, another place. Like most couples breaking up, we went through a rough period before we finally accepted the fact that we were separating. Our principal concern was Lisa, whose custody we agreed would be mutually shared. I mean, What does he, that even mean? He did, does not want custody. Did he even know he had a baby? We remained so close that Elvis never even bothered to pick up a copy of his divorce papers. Like, she still thinks that they're, like, best friends and soulmates. They just can't be together. She says that it was stressful for her to ever let Lisa go visit the dad because she'd call at 1 a.m. and be like, is Lisa asleep? She's six. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, bathed and asleep. And then she would call the housekeeper, and they'd be like, no, we can't get her to take a bath. She says that her dad let her stay up as late as she wants, so her daddy handed her everything on a proverbial silver platter which created conflict when she'd come home and have to deal with reality so he died within four years of their divorce he had been dating linda thompson and she's like i was just worried linda didn't know how to take care of him and at our divorce proceedings i said is she helping you with your medicine and your health and taking care of you she said she was like holding his hands at the divorce hearing like making sure he was okay he didn't care (laughs) anyway he starts getting very sick and canceling shows he would be very erratic at shows People started complaining that he would, like, stop songs in the middle. He was talking about how bad the hotel was. But his adoring fan base didn't care. They kept showing up for him, and she's like, that's all that really mattered. So then he started dating Ginger Alden, who's 20 years younger than him. And he complains. He goes, I don't want to raise another kid. I'm like, which kid have you raised? You mean your last wife? Now more than ever, I know I've done stupid things, he said, but the stupidest was not realizing what I had until I lost it. I want my family back. I wondered if there was some way we could make it work. And very shortly after that, he dies. Ultimately, she says he was a victim. He was the baby. He had been so young when he became a star that he was never able to handle the power and money that accompanied his fame. In many ways, he was a victim, destroyed by the very people who catered to his every want and need. He was a victim, too, of his image. His public wanted him to be perfect while the press mercilessly exaggerated his faults. He never had the chance to be human, to grow up to be a mature adult, to experience the world outside his artificial cocoon. 
you know what she says that's kind of nutty? So she's in his private plane going to Memphis after he passes away. And she talks about like being in his plane. And she says he had a fear of flying, but he never showed it. Elvis never showed any of his fears. He had a responsibility to everyone to feel secure. She literally talks about his fear of flying when she was like 16 years old. And he would take a bus back and forth across the country with his entire entourage. Also, every fear he had was shown when he threw fucking chairs at her. It was shown when he fired his entourage for saying the song wasn't good. And Margaret comes to the funeral and expressed her sympathy so sincerely, I felt a genuine bond with her. I mean, like, this is the chapter where you're like, wow, he really did a fucking number on her. The fact that she's like, wow, me and Anne Margaret together as one. Elvis's death made me much more aware of my own mortality and the people I loved. I learned the price of trying to make everyone happy. Elvis would bestow gifts on some, making others jealous. He was and remains the greatest influence in my life. There's a final epilogue where basically she was like, I didn't realize how hard it would be to tell this story, but so much has been said about him and I wanted to tell him the truth. Other books have painted a picture rather less than flattering, harboring on weaknesses, eccentricities, violent temper tantrums, perversions, and drug abuse. I wanted to write about love and precious wonderful moments and ones filled with grief and disappointments about a man's triumphs and defeats, much of it with a child woman at his side feeling and experiencing his pain and joys. What are you talking about? I mean, this is literally a book about a perverted nightmare. Elvis was a giving soul who touched and gave happiness to millions all over the world and continues to be respected and loved by his peers. He was a man, a very special man. I am so, I wonder how she feels now. And she's like, I know a lot of people say there's so many stories I left out, but I tried my best to tell my story. And I'm like, wow, I wonder which direction she left stories out. Because she says she tried to capture how charming and charismatic he was. And mostly he seems horrific, horrific to her. So I'm like, ooh, did you leave out, like, the really bad moments? It's just so interesting because I'm like, it was never good. No, it was never good. It was just enticing. One of the things that really traps women is this belief that they can, like, beat whatever they're fighting. She thinks, like, oh, all I need is to, like, get married and then he'll care about me. Like, all I need is these things and then finally he'll ask me how my day was. Yeah. Final comments? I'm really sad. Yeah. That's a weird book. How fertile would you say the soil was? Two out of five. I actually feel like I told the story it was trying to tell succinctly well. It just, there wasn't a lot there. Yeah, it is exactly what you would have thought. Yeah. How many worm teenies would you want to share with Priscilla? Zero. I know enough. What about you? Yeah, I don't think that we would have that much to talk about. And don't forget, you guys, we have a show in Phoenix, Arizona. January 18th, we're doing LA. January 19th, 7th and 8th, we're doing our Christmas Spectacular. December. New York City, and we have more merch. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think it's actually going to drop next week. So keep an eye on that. Follow us on Instagram to follow up with all our merch stuff. Yeah. We're also restocking in time for Christmas. We love you. Yeah, a lot. Anyway, thank you to our five-star reviewing Wormy Renos. Thank you so much to the five-star reviewing Angels, Keldog, 56789. Oh, you and Bug are two of my favorite dogs. Trisha Smiley Face. Oh, thank you for bringing a smiley face to my face with this beautiful review. Sarah Jessica P., you've got great shoes and honestly, poor taste in men, but a good heart, I think. Actually, I was Carrie Brad jawing Sarah Jessica P. I don't actually know that much about her, but I appreciate you. <laughs> Snell26394, you smell absolutely incredible and I appreciate you. Bamfitude, you have the most incredible Bamfitude, and I am so grateful for your review. Madeline Mabers 29. Mabers, this is one of my favorites I've ever read. Survivalist 7819. Ugh, there's no one I'd rather survive with than you. Llama's Mama, you 
are the most incredible llama in town. Oh my God, I can't think of another llama word. Katie Purry, meow, meow. You are my favorite pop star and my favorite reviewer. Thank you so much, you guys. I freaking adore you.